Welcome to the Net and Sarah Show, where we aim to touch, move, and inspire you every single week. Really? We're really going to introduce our own show? Maybe we should leave it to the pro. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. One second, ladies. Here we go. Sarah Maxwell and Natalie Cook are experts in visualization and deliberate use of the law of attraction. As dynamic world athletes representing Canada and Australia in beach volleyball, they honed in on achievement at the highest level. With Natalie winning an Olympic gold medal on her home beach of Bondi is a pinnacle example. Their powerful techniques transmute the spiritual to the tangible, allowing thousands of their community members to bring their vision boards to life. Recently, they have returned from their full-time family adventure in Europe and are now grounding down in Australia where they are focused on all of you. How can your dream become reality this decade, perhaps even this year? Not only do Nat and Sarah bring us their three-step manifestation process complete with downloading worksheets, but also their realities of failed attempts and some of the frustrations that color their path. They believe that this life journey was never intended to be jolt-free, but rather a powerful trip down the raging rapids of life. Each week, the Nat and Sarah Show will navigate the epic lives of their mentors to uncover how they use their own manifestation process to produce dreams that are available to us all. Are you a member of the community? Go to bit.ly slash the Nat and Sarah Show to download your three-step journal to follow along with each workshop-style teaching episode and get ready to take action on your inspirations. Today, we continue the conversation with a woman who continues to recreate herself decade after decade. Carrie Pothars has been a professional athlete for most of her life, representing her country of Australia in indoor and beach volleyball for over 24 years. Having her son Tyson after retiring from her fourth Olympics, she became a sought after motivational speaker and has continued to prosper in that for the last 15 years. In that time, she then became a beach volleyball coach where she navigated international teams up the ranks. Then extending her coaching to other areas, which now include health and wellness advocate and expert. All the while, she wrote a book on the business of being an athlete, further demonstrating her professionalism and entrepreneurial gene. Her life is so full and she engages at 100% in whatever she's doing. I marveled when she told me years ago that her dream for her life as a little girl was to be a teacher and live a simple life. Can't wait to find out where the curveball came in on that one, Carrie. So, Carrie, are you ready to jump into this and really uncover what it takes to pivot, adjust, reinvent, and consistently establish relevance in changing times? You ready for that? Yeah, I'm ready. Bring it on, Sarah. <laughs> you. It's so fun to um, be able to go into the past of people that I know really well today. So I have to sometimes remember that we're educating people and the audience as we go along. So I'll, I'll do my best to not have nuances that all of you are amazing listeners, you know, that you may not be privy to. So look, I can't wait to get into the latter iterations of your career, Carrie. But first, can you give us a visual of mini Carrie, who grew up with her sister in Adelaide and dreamed of being a teacher? I don't think I was ever mini because I'm six foot tall, just over six foot tall. So I was always quite a head, head and shoulders above the rest of 
all of my friends. And in the beginning, that was a real concern for me. That was actually something that really affected me, affected my confidence. Um, it just affected my emotions. I remember in primary school, I, and this is because I was taller than everyone, I, um, I, I got teased a lot and it really it hit me in the heart. I was, I'm quite sensitive. I might seem, you know, driven and hardworking, or I'm hardworking, but I might seem driven and hard on the outside, but you know, on the inside, I'm, I'm quite soft and, and sensitive. And so it really affected me when I was young and I almost changed schools because of it. I don't think I was really bullied. I think that that was just kids being kids, and but it, you know, affected me because I was sensitive. Um, and then, you know, as I went through high school, still kind of not really, I didn't really ever feel like I fit in and it was mainly due to the fact that I was so much taller than everyone it's it's crazy I, I dibbled and dabbled in all sorts of sports but it wasn't until I was um kind of introduced to volleyball by my brother so I had a sister and a, I have a sister and a brother oh um, sorry brother that was rude <laughs> that's okay um he uh, they're both older than me and he asked me to fill in in you know an indoor game of volleyball he, he was playing it socially and I'd been introduced by the sport to the sport um, at school by one of my friends who was playing in a club team and she kind of told me how to hold my hands together literally and so he said can you come along and just stand on the court we just need six people and when the whistle blows get out of the way so we can play each point <laughs> and I at the time he had obviously four other mates on the court I'm like oh boys you know <laughs> taller older and I, that was my first initial reason for going along oh yeah I'll come along and I had a lot of fun that night and I, I actually tried to join in and at the end of the game he kind of looked at me and he you know tilted his head and he said well maybe you'd be okay at this sport why don't you come and try out at our club team and that was it and I was hooked and I was hooked in because they all went wow six foot tall you know we'll teach you how to play and so for me, for the first time in my life, my height was looked at in a positive way. So that started to give me the confidence that I was looking for, you know, and I really fit into that community well and very quickly. And I was, my body type was, you know, perfect for the sport of volleyball. And um, yeah, off I went. Wow. And I, isn't that a shame for getting your brother because he's the one that really <laughs> exposed you to something that was so traumatic for you being tall. I'm so glad you're bringing this up because, you know, obviously, you know, our little Jordan, who's not so little either. So it's great to hear some of these stories so that we can continue to foster her confidence and what's great about being tall. Um, because yes, I know that it can really affect people. So I had a couple of something I just had to say was that it seems like boys may have been one of the draw cards for you to keep evolving <laughs> yourself. But anyways, we won't, we won't well, cover that. Funny, funny you say that is because I, I remember a, one of those moments that I was particularly upset about being tall and it was in primary school. We were playing kiss chasey. Remember when, you know, you run around and if you get caught, you have to kiss the person or they have to be, or something like that. I can't even remember how to play it. But when it was my turn and I had to, um, someone had to give me a kiss, they had to stand on a chair. And all the kids were just laughing their head off and thought it was the funniest thing ever. And it was a bit of a joke by that kid, but that just stuck with me pretty badly. So then, you know, in high school, when I still was taller than all the boys, then finally I was in an environment where all the, the guys were a lot taller. Um, it, again, it gave me the confidence I needed as a, you know, as a young teenage female, I guess. Wow. 
That game should be banned. I have a very clear traumatic memory from that game as well. Because I was also really tall. I grew all my height till I was in grade seven. And then I used to be really strong. So I played that game and I kicked some guy where where the sun don't shine. And yeah, I got banned from the game. (laughs) (laughs) You kicked him instead of kissing him. (laughs) Exactly, Kez. I was fighting it. So I guess... Could you ever dream that you'd be living the life that you live now? So I remember years ago, you sharing with me that you really just wanted a simple life back then. And so to see everything that's been created, can you, could you even have dreamt that back then? No. And look, when you say I wanted a simple life, I think I probably didn't even know what was out there because I grew up with an immigrant family. My parents came over on a ship from Germany in the 50s. We didn't have a lot, but we made a lot of what we did have. I had, um, you know, as I was growing, another tall story, as I was growing, my mum would embroider things to the bottom of my jeans as my jeans got too short for me, you know, and she'd put an extra layer and I ended up having like one, two, three layers, (laughs) rows along the bottom of my jeans, all these crazy, colourful, embroidered patching things. Anyway, uh, (laughs) um, so, yes, yeah, so my mum was a school teacher and as I got went through school and towards the end of high school, I'd started playing volleyball and I, as an athlete, you, you kind of, you, you head towards that um, physical education sort of side. That's what attracts you because you're already starting to be an athlete. So I thought, oh, I'll be a PE teacher. And that's what I thought I would do. But as we finished high school, the year of high school, I, I missed my mid-year exams because of a volleyball trip. And I only just scraped through high school. So I didn't actually get the marks at the time that was needed to get into the the PE university degree. And lucky I didn't because I ended up getting a job, which then paid for me to play volleyball, which I then went up very quickly in and then um, left that job to, to go professional and play a season overseas in Europe, professional indoor volleyball. So it was kind of like a sliding doors moment, not getting into university that year set me off on a bit of a different trajectory, earning money. And then I never really wanted to go to university because that would mean I would stop earning money and, you know, not be able to represent Australia because back then um, as volleyballers, we didn't have any funding really at all. Oh, I love, I'm so glad I asked people about their past because it really highlights the fact when I think about how intelligent you are, how professional every single thing that you engage in is. I mean, you really get the notion that university is for some people and not for others. And it doesn't necessarily um, give the credibility that everybody thinks it does. So I love hearing that from you. And I want to delve into this prolific indoor volleyball career because you were someone who is really setting the standard in Australia, especially for females as an indoor player. And, you know, you're starting to realize dreams that maybe you couldn't even have imagined. And then it's like that dream gets pulled out from below your knee pad clad legs. And I had to say that as an indoor player, because we know the drama of the knee pad. Like, what did it take you to transition to a whole new form of your sport, like beach volleyball? Yeah, well, first of all, I I ended up playing for Australia for 10 years and I was um, in the junior national team first and then the senior national team for 10 years. Travelled the world with my team, absolutely loved indoor volleyball, quit my job 
to go and pursue a pro professional position, was going to go back again to, to continue on professionally in Europe. The reason I went to Europe, in fact, was because I wanted to get better, not necessarily to earn money. I just got to the point where I didn't feel like I could get any better in Australia. And as an Australian team, we were ranked 22nd, 23rd, something like that in the world. And only the top 10, 12 teams in the world go to the Olympics. So as an indoor volleyball player, the Olympics was not even in my focus or in on my vision board like I, it was never a possibility for us to at that point as part-time very poorly funded sports athletes in volleyball there was never a chance of getting to the olympics in our sport um, so coming back from that first year professionally in, in italy um, i remember i went and represented my state at the time i was playing for south australia i grew up in south australia in uh, the national championships. And again, this is another sliding doors moment because it completely changed the trajectory of my future. We were in the grand final. I'd been jumping, jumping, jumping all week. You know, I'd just come back from playing in Italy. So my setter was setting me every ball and I was just killing it, killing it, killing it. That was my job to jump and hit, jump and hit, jump and hit. And it was the grand final. We were playing New South Wales. And I remember being on the right-hand side of the court and I was going to smash this ball straight down the line, which was my favourite hit from that side of the court. And the last moment I changed my mind oh. and I went to hit it across the court on an angle, but the opposition blocked that ball out. And as that ball was landing back on my side, as I landed, I twisted to get it myself. Well, unfortunately, my foot kind of stayed stuck to the ground. It was a really sticky surface that they were trialling that year. It was a different surface on top of the normal floorboards. And my foot stayed facing one way and my whole body twisted the other way. So I completely wrecked my, I ruptured, not just wrecked, I ruptured my cruciate ligament, my medial ligament, my meniscus and my cartilage, which completely destroyed my, my joint. So, you know, over the next three months, I was trying to rehabilitate from that and I lost 10 kilos and I wasn't, I'm not a big person, you know, tall and skinny. Um, but I lost 10 kilos, mainly muscle. I barely moved for three months. It was the most horrific pain that I've ever experienced. You know, just standing up, the blood would rush into the wound. Um, so I had to just keep my leg kind of above my, my hip so the, the blood wouldn't um, go down with gravity. So it was really horrible. And um, I had a lot of support for, from family and stuff, but I, no one ever really said to me, you can't ever play again. Thank God they didn't. But I, I can kind of sense that that's what people were thinking. Um, but in my mind, I just went, I still love this sport. You know, I, I really do. And I want to give it a try. And at the time, my boyfriend asked me if, you know, I wanted to set some goals. And he gave me this brand new white volleyball. And he, he got me to write on every panel of the ball a goal and put a date on the goal. Um, and then I finally wrote at the end of when the panels had all almost um, run out, you know, that I wanted to represent Australia for indoor volleyball again. At that point, I couldn't even stand up, right, when I was filling this ball in. So it was really hard at the time when you're in your lowest, 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 lowest to try and imagine even getting back to where you were, let alone going further. Um, but he said he gave me this ball and it was three-dimensional and it represented what I wanted to get back to. So I thought, well, okay, I'll give it a bash. And I filled it all in. And then the funny thing was there was a panel left where the valve is, where I thought I would just sit the ball so I didn't need to write on it. But one day I picked it up and I thought, oh, I want to fill that in. And I thought, well, what can I do that's kind of going to be harder than playing indoor again? 
you know, that step further than where I was before. And I thought, oh, maybe I'll give beach volleyball a try because I'd heard that it was announced to go into the following Olympics for the first ever time, which were three years away from when I did my injury or two years. No, sorry, when I did my injury in 92. So four years away, but when I was filling the ball out, it was about three years um, from when, you know, I'd be looking to try and qualify for the Olympics the first time beach volleyball would ever be in it. And it was just kind of like a, a thought and I didn't even, you know, I didn't even plan for it. It just was, I just wrote it on there thinking, oh yeah, I'll just put that on there for after I come back to playing indoor. But what ended up happening was bit by bit, month by month, I, I was rehabilitating. I was trying to come back. And after a year, I realized that the floorboards were just too hard. Um, I couldn't jump and move and, and, you know, fall on the ground and do all those things that you do on the hard surface like I could before. I tried really hard. I moved to Perth with an indoor national team. I did physio every day. I did what I could. But after a year, I just realized it was just almost impossible for me to, to do it. My knee just didn't like it at all. It was really angry. It wouldn't heal properly. It was just, yeah, it was just inflamed all the time and pain. And so then I thought, well, hey, why don't I give beach volleyball a try? Why don't I just try it? It was in my kind of realm of thinking, but wasn't something I was focused on. So I gave it a try and lo and behold, I realized, and this is something that I didn't realize when I was in, you know, the, the point of depression and depression and in my lowest low was that I didn't realize beach volleyball is actually easier on my knee than it, than indoor was going to be. I thought it was the other way around. So I think sometimes we, we get this impression of what the future is going to be like, where in fact we could be completely wrong. So it was a complete 360 turnaround and I, I, I got my pair of bikinis and I went out onto the sand and started moving around and went, Oh, this is actually better for my knee joint. Mm -hmm. And um, very quickly I snapped up a partner and off I went on onto the world tour. And it didn't take long for, for me to, you know, go up the rankings in Australia on the beach. Amazing. I love these stories because I'm always sort of listening for, and I hope everybody else is too, the, the little nuances, I think, Carrie, you're living your life and all the while there's sort of like this thread kind of moving through. And I see this thread even of that panel on the ball that you weren't going to fill in. And it was sort of like you said, it was sort of an afterthought because like you didn't know when you were young, you couldn't really even conceive the sand, the beach, because you'd never really done that before. And so there's something here for us all to get around this, that sometimes these fleeting little thoughts deserve to be written down and not to be judged or analyzed because if you had done that Carrie would you probably not have included it on the yeah, absolutely that is a great point and that's something that I hadn't ever really thought about that yeah to write those little thoughts down and I continue to do that like I have journals I have books I write every thought you know crazy or whatever down I have books I have journals that are just ideas that have never come to fruition, but at least I've written them down. And I think that's helped me go from one point to the next, to the next, to the next, because when I hit a roadblock, as I did with um, indoor volleyball, I went, well, what next? Well, I'd thought about it. It was already in my kind of sphere of influence. So it was an opportunity and I, I went with it. And then the next point was, well, when I got to a point where I realized I could get to the Olympics, which was kind of that soft goal when I first started playing beach volleyball, I thought I had two years to work that out. I started playing with my best friend who was a, also a retired indoor volleyball player. 
And she and I got to a certain point, but I wanted to get even better. Then I went, well, okay, what, what's next? And then I started looking around again and then I saw Natalie Cook and I went, you know, I think that's the person that could, I could get to the next level with. So, Amazing. you know, exactly. You've get, you just, you, you can't imagine what's ahead. You don't know what's behind the closed door. You've got to see the door first. I really think there's something deep that you're saying here, actually, that doesn't get talked about a lot around goals, because what I'm hearing from you, you even called it soft goal, because in some ways, ideas are free, you know, like they're not, there's not the pressure on them. And sometimes I think we, we have this realm of goal setting now. And I think sometimes the head starts to take that over um, and people experience the pressure of goals. Whereas what I'm getting from you and your story is how it's like the idea itself started to shape. And Elizabeth Gilbert wrote a, a great book called Big Magic. And I never thought of this before, but I now I'm thinking again about it with you is that she says she believes that ideas are like floating around and they're waiting for a custodian, like waiting for someone where the timing is right. And she even goes through this example of where she had an idea, her life completely did a 180 on her, and that book idea then literally seemed to transfer itself onto some other author. And I thought, you know what, I reckon there's something to that. And look, I haven't proven that, I have, but when you're sharing your story, I think to myself, there's a girl sitting in a bed, thinking about what's going to happen with her knee and this idea has, you know, a, a mm. possibility and you write. Yeah. So it's just really cool to hear you saying this because it's just sort of all linking. Well, it's together. interesting because as you know, I also wrote a book and that's kind of what happened to me with the book because all along throughout my journey, I kept my records of my journey. I kept information that I might one day, in inverted commas, one day. So it's like a soft goal. I hadn't decided whether I was going to do it or not, but I might one day write a book. And it actually happened. The, the, the day that I decided and made the commitment, I was standing on a stage. I was giving a motivational presentation. It was International Women's Day. And I'd said, I'd said after at the end, I said, any questions? And somebody said to me, because I talk a lot about the goal ball that I did and how I you know, got back to playing um, volleyball again through setting goals. And she said, what's your goal now? What's your next goal? And I kind of gulped because I thought, okay, oh, quick, got to think of one. And straight away, I said, I'm writing a book because I had. That was a soft goal. It was something that I had an idea about in my head. But then she put me on the spot. She said, when is it going to be out? Because <laughs> I'd like to get a copy. And, I, and straight away, because I'd been talking about it from stage, I had to put a date on it. And I said, oh, next June, which was about nine months away. And she's like, great, I'll be looking for it. Now, at that moment, that was the moment that I had to commit because I'd put it out to the universe. So there's a lot to be said about like voicing your goal and putting a date on it, putting it out to people, you know, people around you that, you, you know, that love you and trust that you trust that they're not going to kind of, you know, chop your goals down. Um, and then, then at the end of that presentation, and this is the other thing about putting it out there, a woman came up, another woman came up to me and she said, Oh, if you need some help with the book, my friend or my sister, I can't remember who it was, is an editor and she gave me her card. So straight away, I was already starting to attract the people I needed in my, 
um, you know, in my, my tribe to help me put this book together. So the first thing I did when I went home was go, right, I've committed, I've got to get this book done. I've said June, I better get started. And within a month, I had someone helping me write the book and I'd already started writing it. And the next June, I was really proud of myself because it wasn't in like, uh, like it wasn't in my hand as a real book, but I pressed the button to send the full book, the full version of what I'd written for the first time to the editor. And then it was in print three months after that. Wow. So if I hadn't have said it, I would never have gotten it done. It was, it was as simple as that. And it started, the only reason I was able to do it was because I'd collected stuff along the way. Because if you want to write a book about mm. your life or your journey, you've got to remember it all. And that's probably the hardest part. So. Wow. This, all your, it's so great to hear your stories being told in their entirety because you get so much more. Um, I remember hearing Wayne Dyer present with a girl from Rwanda who was in um, hiding while the war was happening there. And she came out of the war speaking English. And when it, when she started, she did not speak a word of English. She sat in that isolation. This could be opportune for our timing here. She sat in isolation and read the English Bible. And, and when they asked her, someone's on stage said, why did you do that? And she said, because I knew that I had a mission when I came out. And she was like on this stage. I'm not kidding. It wasn't that long after. And she was talking about this forgiveness that none of us could grasp. So you never know how your ideas are developing themselves. Mm. And you said something about the nine months, you know, when, you, when the woman said how long and you said June. And you kind of opened this idea of nine months, that, that period that us women birth children. And sorry, actually grow children. I call it like, cellular dividing at its best. So tell me about motherhood and that transition, Carrie. What was that like versus, not versus, but in terms of all the other things that you'd taken on, what was motherhood like for you? Well, for me, it was the only thing that was going to stop me playing volleyball. <laughs> I, I had to have a baby to stop me from playing volleyball. Otherwise, I would have still be playing at the age of 60. I'm not 60 now, but I'd still be playing, um, <laughs> just to be clear. She doesn't um, look 60, gang. <laughs> um, yeah, look, I, I'd always wanted to have a child. You know, I, I, as a female, I was like, I, I don't want to leave this earth without experiencing growing the baby which I absolutely adored with every fiber of my being having a baby growing inside of me I loved it and I was so upset the day that he was born that he wouldn't be inside me anymore because <laughs> it was much easier having him inside me than it was out um, but I knew and I was 41 when I had Tyson so I wasn't young um, and I was very grateful that I was able to get pregnant and have very healthy pregnancy and healthy birth um, but that transition, I was well and truly ready for it. It wasn't something, you know, that, that, uh, you know, was really hard to get used to. Um, it was, I was well and truly ready to look after somebody else. I'd looked after myself. I was number one for 20 years playing sport. Um, and I was ready to look after somebody else. And, you know, mm. he's, he's an absolute blessing and I'd still love looking after him and I will for the rest of my life. He'll be my baby. So cool. Well, it's funny, we, we reunited, didn't we, the other day, all us old volleyball girls came together to watch her son play volleyball on the yeah. sand. And I just saw your face when you saw the other team. 
and they were all tall, like you would have been. <laughs> and it was that sense of, I can't do anything from over here on the sidelines. Yeah, um, he got smashed. <laughs> uh, well, I don't think he got smashed, but I think that it was definitely, you know, that it's a transition, you know, you're not on the court anymore. You're there supporting, loving, like you said, what's he going to say? Is he going to yeah. have a tear after losing, you know, just being a totally different person, Yeah. you know, being who you need to be. So now you became a speaker and a presenter, but what I really want to ask you is what capacities from transitioning sport to motherhood to becoming that speaker presenter you know to then this author is there like a template that sort of reads time for change carrie here's the formula we need to adopt like is that how you think how does it work in your little brain well i'm very big on looking ahead and planning for the future always have been which is sometimes a not a good thing because then i'm rushing through the present um, and i'm not you know, taking as much notice of what's going on around me. So um, I tend to surround myself with people that keep me present and that make me laugh and that so I can enjoy the moment instead of always planning ahead. But I'm a big planner ahead. Um, it gives me security, gives me that, which is one of my kind of, I guess, highest values, feeling secure in the knowledge of where I'm going. Um, but when I look at, when I look at the transition from, you know, indoor volleyball to beach volleyball to motherhood, you know, out of sport, into speaking, and then within my speaking career, you know, transitioning within that to kind of, well, what can I do next? What can I do next? How can I be better? What It's always it's always the how can I be better part because I always, I don't like being average. I'm not, if I'm going to do something, I, I want to try and be my best at it. It might not be better than everybody else, but it's my best. I'm not, not going to do it unless I give, you know, give my best. Um, but I'm not really sure there's a blueprint. I think it's, I do roll with the punch as well, um, which is something you have to learn to do as an athlete. And especially in today's environment, just every single day at the moment, we're in this COVID-19 lockdown and or almost full lockdown and, you know, having to roll with the punches, not knowing what tomorrow will bring or next week and just reinventing almost every single day. Whereas I did it, I probably did it in my last 40 years, every decade I kind of reinvented. Um, but I think it's overlapping rather than switching from one thing to the next thing the next day and forgetting what you've done the day before. It's kind of the overlap. And so when I'm talking to athletes who are transitioning or thinking about retiring, I always um, like to make sure that they're aware that they can do things now while they're still playing the sport that will help them after. So when I think of my transition from sport, I was already speaking. So I was already presenting and talking about our story um, how we achieved the success. I was, you know, putting together presentations, working out what worked and didn't work, um, looking for opportunities, talking to the media already, doing some commentating while I was still playing. So I was kind of doing that at the end. So when I actually stopped playing professionally, so for Australia, um, I just did more of the other things and less playing. And then eventually less and less and less playing, a bit of social, and then I stopped playing and then I went into coaching. So I kind of overlapped a lot of the things and I think that makes the transition of any period a lot easier if you can overlap that makes like sense that. Oh, yeah it totally makes sense actually I really love that because there's a sense of preparation without desperation yeah I like is, that. yeah like I just I like what you're saying a lot and I think I hope people really get that because I see some people get inspired and they want to make a move and then it's sort of like cold turkey 
nothing on the calendar and then they think on this blank piece of paper they're going to create whereas what i'm getting from you is that you can actually begin creating while you're in the other thing and i think um less attachment you know so more freedom around what you're creating so you you, you mentioned unprecedented times in our history um, travel has grounded to a halt um, borders between states here in australia are even closed so that technically means that if we ran toward each other from Queensland to New South Wales, because they would stop us. Um, and you know, your speaker work is on a big pause at the moment. So the Olympic Games in Tokyo, where you were commissioned to be a commentator, like even that has been postponed when none of us thought that it would get that far. So what is your mind and body pivoting to right now? Well, obviously, and I think everybody's doing this, is what can I do from virtually? You know, what can I do from home? What can we do using technology? So I think as a speaker, it's not, um, it's not unheard of for us to present um, from home using technology. So I've already set up a little, within the first few days, knowing that this was gonna happen, I set up what I, I call my little studio, which is just my office, but I made sure I, I already had a big ring light, I put a background up on the wall, a, a photograph and a motivational saying. I set up where I would put my computer. Um, I checked all my technology, made sure all my, you know, my, my um, webinar accounts and all that were up to date and that I was able to seamlessly switch from, you know, talking to the camera to playing a video to then to slides, knowing that I, I tested it all. I did this two or three weeks ago. Um, before knowing that, you know, things would come to this much of a grinding halt. So again, like you said, preparation, instead of desperately trying to, you know, to struggle to find things to do. So already putting into plan, as soon as there was an inkling that things might change. Wow. Um, so apart from that, you know, I guess I haven't really thought too much past June, um, June of 2020, depending on when people are going to be listening to this, which is, um, yeah, which is how many months is two months from where we are now. I don't think anyone can really think too much further ahead because we're not really sure what things are going to look like. But again, to know, to kind of just try and keep your options open and just be creative. And that's, I guess that's one thing, if anything, in, you talked about having a template, being creative is, is a real, um, I guess, necessity if we want to keep reinventing. I saw that in how you're very creative and art artistic. I didn't know that about you. And I think that's <laughs> worth have, mentioning. Yeah. I, yeah. Have, I haven't actually been artistic for a while. Um, but when I was younger, I did a lot of drawing. I did art in my HSC at school. Um, but, you know, yeah, that I, I'm artistic in that sense. But I use my creativity now with my thoughts. I've created you know, created more things in my head now than I do on a canvas. <laughs> yeah, well said. Yeah. You know, I really want to thank you for what you've said, because I think that preparation, everybody has control over that. And, you know, your immigrant parents bringing you, you know, not bringing you, but bringing themselves over on the boat seem to have given you this sense of preparing for a day that we can't expect. And I think that's something that a lot of, especially European history, just like Nat's dad telling us that he grew up with a food ration. He actually was born in a bomb shelter. So you, you kind of just see this way that 
they approach what's happening right now with a sense of we're going to get through this. They, they've been there before and whether that's in your genes, but I really get that what you're sharing with people is what can we create now? What's possible now? I love your description of how a couple of weeks ago you put things in place and I feel that we can all learn from what you're sharing. So very appreciative of this conversation. Thanks, Kerry. Pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Don't forget to join the community at bit.ly slash the Nat and Sarah show to download your three-step journal and participate in weekly lives found only in our private group. Hold on, hold on, hold on. You've got to rate and review the show. And I know all the podcasts are always asking this. And in the past, I wasn't doing it. And the reason I wasn't doing it is because I actually didn't know how to do it. So open your podcast player and click on our show from your library, not the listen now. That's where I was going wrong in the past. So now that you know how to do it, when you go there, make sure you give us a five-star review. Five stars, five stars, five stars. And then click on write a review link to actually write a review so that you can tell other people that we're legit and even funny, maybe a bit serious. So if you want to recommend this to someone, you have to... Put your fingers on the keys and send us a review. Thanks.